Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and to make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father. And if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. In you I find my joy. I want to start actually by reading um, some song lyrics. Um, for sure, it's one of my, uh, oh, there we go. One of my favorite, probably, it's for sure on the top list of my favorite worship songs. I'm sure some of you guys could say it's by an amazing songwriter named Matt Redman. Classic, beautiful song. Um, and I wanted to start by reading these because I feel like these lyrics uh, beautifully capture my goal for tonight. Uh, what I want to talk about, it's almost like I want these lyrics to be the lens, the context, the framework for what we're talking about. So you can follow up along. I'll be reading from here of the lyrics. Um, it says, when the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come. Just love that. So the music goes away, stripped away, and it's coming to the Lord. Longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. So a heart that longs to give him something worthy to move his heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear, and you're looking into my heart. So God's after your heart in worship. And then the chorus that everyone knows. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And what is that heart? It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. And I love this. Repentance. We're going to talk on this later. But it says, I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing that I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. Powerful stuff, right? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, um, we just thank you that you're here. We worship you. God, would you come by your grace and your spirit and rewire our brains? <laughs> would you come and rewire our hearts to know what worship really is? God, would you use me tonight? Would you help us uh, to dive into your truth so that we could be set free? God, I thank you that people don't know that they're about to be set free and they're about to be spooked. So we bless what you're doing. Amen. Okay, so based on that song, I want to talk about the heart of worship tonight. I want to talk about the true, did this thing get shorter? No, it didn't. Okay, the true, real, pure heart of worship, the type that a lifestyle comes out of, okay? So the heart of worship. Um, I just sensed that there was someone, that was really weird. Sorry. Sorry. I forgot that I was up here. I just sensed uh, there's somebody, is there somebody here that is having completely like hard time just sleeping and it's almost like, almost to the point where you start to think that it's like demonic, like just coming after your sleep? Is that anyone? I'm going to take a risk. Here, a couple. I just want to pray for you really quick. Sorry. I just felt that really strong. And I just feel like I just declare of you that worship is going to be your weapon. Yeah. So God, we just, uh, if there, I didn't, sorry if I missed anyone else up there. Oh, here, here. God sees your hand. 
Uh, anybody, Lord, that is, has their hand raised, we just uh, pray against uh, the demonic trying to attack sleep. God, we just pray right now. I just speak to their minds and just say freedom in Jesus' name. And I pray that you'd give them a new spirit of worship, that they'd start to see that their worship is warfare. So just bring freedom right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Right now, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We bless what you're doing. Freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, sorry. Well, no, I'm not actually sorry. Um, I want to talk about the heart of worship tonight, and then I also want to talk about uh, what is not found in the heart of worship, because I know sometimes it's really good to talk about what something isn't, because it almost clarifies and sharpens what that thing really is. Does that make sense? And then I want to lastly talk about how do we obtain and then sustain this heart of worship for, for the long haul. So let's start. Next slide. What is the heart of worship? When I think biblically of what worship is, what is the heart of worship? How is it defined? I actually do think of its first mention. Alex talked about this a bit last week, and so I just want to do a very quick recap. Genesis 22, it's the story of Abraham and Isaac, and it's a story about really Abraham moving forward in obedience to sacrifice his son unto the Lord. It's a crazy, wild story. We see a man actually given his biggest promise, right? Him and his wife were waiting 25 years for this promise, and he got this promise, so he got a son, and the Lord asked Abraham to sacrifice this promise, his son, as an offering unto himself. It's really, when you read it um, in its entirety, it's, like a, it's truly a gut-wrenching just story about sacrifice. It's really hard to read almost, but it was also a worship service. It's where worship is first mentioned and therefore defined, like how Alex talked about. And so I just wanted to remind us of that. as like, isn't it crazy that worship was birthed, if you will, biblically in the context of that story? It's wild. It shows us that worship is about covenantal relationship. It's about God's lordship in our lives. See, worship was birthed and defined in the context of costly sacrifice and obedience, surrender to the Lord. Think about that. That's where worship started in this, in this place of sacrifice. So now thinking of that being the first mention, which means kind of when we hear the first mention theologically, it means it's kind of it's how you now define things and, and a lens that you look through for the rest of the book and for us today. So it tells us that worship for us is way more than a place or a time for us to get fueled up and have selfish ambitions and objectives to get through during a, a gathering but it's actually to be defined by this first mention, that our worship in life must be, in the best phrase, our worship must be gut-wrenching. It, sh- it should be truly a sacrificial act unto the Lord. That worship should be a heart that keeps covenant with God, where we worship with the fear of the Lord and joy, because that story of Abraham and Isaac also is a picture of God and his son, that we can stand hear, enjoy, and weep because God gave his only son for us. So just stop and think about that, how the worship was defined in that context. It's pretty amazing. So I wanted to remind us of that story so that it could be in the forefront of our, of our brains uh, this evening because the second biblical story that I think of when I think about true worship, the heart of worship, is in Mark 14. So if you have your Bibles, quickly open to Mark 14. Verse 3. Here we go. 
While he was in Bethany, talking about Jesus, while he was in Bethany reclining, reclining, sounds cool, he's like a laying back, lazy boy, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. Sounds awesome. Sounds smelly. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. And I love this. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Wow. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She performed perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Love this. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Sheesh. It's a powerful story. So I think of this act of worship now, this offering, this giving praise to Jesus, and then, and then think about it, how, how that relates to the Abraham story. It shows us again that worship is about giving the Lord a sacrifice, an offering, an offering to show worth and to actually declare his lordship in our lives. See, this story with this woman was very intimate, right? She broke into the house. She made a scene. She broke the jar of nard, hello, and she poured it out on Jesus' head. That's a beautiful, intimate thing. See, this story reminds us that true worship has to cost you something. Remember, the story said it was not just expensive, but very expensive perfume. More than a year's wages, but she didn't care. She knew what she had to do, and she carried a heart of worship that was pure, and extravagant. And the story says that people present even rebuked this act of worship. See, we need to see that true, pure hearts of extravagant worship offend the religious and the logical. It's powerful. They couldn't understand it, and they thought it was foolish. See, the religious and logical get offended at true worship. They don't like it because it seems too much. They like order. They like what makes sense. But hear this. I love this. As we see, Jesus actually gets angry with them. He tells them to leave her alone. This shows us that Jesus always protects extravagant worship. And what we see in this act of true and costly worship was a fruit that deeply moved the heart of Jesus. He called it a beautiful thing. And he went as far as saying is wherever the gospel is preached, what this woman did will be spoken of as well. That's huge. So the heart of worship is intimacy, sacrifice, and it's a desire to move the Lord's heart and to minister to him. See, these two stories define what worship is and the real heart behind worship and what we need. But it very simply also pushes me to believe that at the heart of worship, It's way more than just songs. See, now, when I think of worship nowadays in the Western church, it means so many different things. 
But this heart of worship, it reminds me that it's, it's more than just set lists. Worship is more than just musicians. It's a lifestyle. All those things have their rightful place, but we need to remember they are tools and forms for us to make him Lord. See, they're tools and forms that can either flow from a really good heart or a really bad heart. See, we have grown to see expressions of what worship is, and then we've called those expressions what worship is. What I mean is it's been very easy in our day and age to define worship just as song, set list, or a precursor to the main course that is the message. And therefore, we make worship about something that we do instead of a person that it's for. Because our focus, this troubles me, because our focus can easily shift from a person to an artistic expression. It's just not okay. Thank you. It may sound very elementary, but we must remember worship is about Jesus our Lord. So simple. Period. It's all about him. Yes, we have our teams, we have our instruments, we have our songs. They are needed and important. And, and why do we do those? Why are they needed? It's because they were modeled in the Bible. We saw these things in the Bible. So that's why we do them. But they are all ways, like how I said, to express that Jesus is Lord. See, wherever God is worshipped, in spirit and in truth, like Alex was talking about last week, his kingdom is established. That's why we worship. We worship for the primary mission of on earth as it is in heaven. If you're a worshiper, it doesn't matter if you play instruments or anything. Like you're a worshiper, it's, it's unto something. It's unto him being a Lord and unto his mission of on earth as it is in heaven. So it's way bigger than songs. It's our responsibility to release true, pure worship with the right heart so that we can see heaven advance and the kingdom of darkness destroyed. See, we've made all this worship about something way different at times. We've actually cheapened it down to just music when really it's heart. See, as I was writing this message, I was really, really humbled because I just, I was sitting there graciously just realizing, oh, the Lord graciously chose me to pastor our worship department here at St. Hill. And I started thinking while I was writing out these thoughts, like it's my duty, duties, like Nacho Libre, priestly duties, but it's my duty, really, to not just put on display for you a musician. You know, it's my duty here to actually pastor worship. What does that mean? It's to protect the purity of our worship. It's to celebrate when I see pure worship, to champion it. But it's also to pastor us away from the pitfalls of what worship could be and what the world is creating it to be. So we must constantly remind each other what the pure heart of worship really is because, get this, the power that we experience in worship comes from purity. See, something can only be as powerful as it is pure. What I've seen here in our church, I long to really keep seeing, is pure worship because that is the most powerful kind. It's the heart of people that want to move his heart. Why is that powerful? Because when we gather here and minister to his heart, it actually exposes all of the lesser offerings that have been made in this land. It's a powerful thing. 
See, pure worship like this only hopes to move the heart that it is worshiping. Just like the story of the woman with the perfume. And his power, his glory enters into our midst when our hearts are pure. It's important to know this so that it keeps us in check in regards to our songs, production, set lists, why we worship musicianship. Because worship doesn't just get more powerful by the more things you add to it. Or better yet, it's not adopting a certain model that works. See, it's power that we felt in the context here of worship and us singing together. It's important to know that that power has never flowed from its form or its expressions. His power has always flowed from his presence. See, the farther you get away from purity of heart, I've noticed, this is my opinion, the hollower and the more lifeless things just start to look and sound. Power and worship always flows from the person of Jesus and the presence that he offers. I feel like I talk about this every time I speak, but um, I sound like a broken record, but it, it, and it's so simple, but the heart of worship, when you have a true heart of worship, it realizes that presence is a person. Say that with me. Presence is a person. And it's about our relationship with him. I think this is important because sometimes, quote, the presence has become a new kind of catchphrase type thing for the Holy Spirit moving in the church. And that's awesome. Like we say things like, did you feel the presence on that? Or you could really feel the presence there. There was so much presence in the room. But we need, we need to remember that the presence is not just a mystical force like we see in Star Wars. Okay? No, the presence is a person, and we must keep those realities connected. Because if not, our worship is just about feelings. And this is important, because if if our worship is just about feelings, we will miss the invitation of what worship's really about, and that's to know him, move with him, and to do life with him. It's a lifestyle worship. See, Jesus is not just a mist. He's not just a cloud. He's not just some dust. He's not a cool atmosphere. He can manifest in any of those ways, but he is a person. See, when we say the presence was strong tonight, it means the person of the Holy Spirit, Jesus himself, was revealed. Just like the presence of my wife or my friend Alex or fill in the blank, the presence is always connected to the personhood. It's not just an idea. See, we can actually really dishonor the Lord in our gatherings when we dehumanize him and make him an abstract atmosphere and a presence. Us charismatics are really good at that. We are good at it, but we need to be careful. It's a person. His name's Jesus. He has heart. He has feelings. He has desires. A true heart of worship holds true to understand that it's all unto a person. And we keep this period of heart by never letting our worship in this house ever become about anything but Jesus. Amen? Because help us, this, this helps us not forget that the house of worship we want to see here, the house of presence that, that we want to see in this town, it's his house. He is building it, so it will always be subject to his design, his vision, and his voice. That's a pure heart of worship to have. Now to move on, what is not found in a heart of worship? Oh, gosh. 
in looking at what worship has become, especially in the Western church, it has really troubled my heart at times. It's left me confused. I've seen it derail and confuse believers as well. I don't think that there has ever been a moment in history when the temptation to be a worshiper for all the wrong reasons is greater than ever before. And I personally have seen it slowly at times, just my vision, this is almost just my opinion, but I have seen it at times stray from that heart of worship that I just talked about. There is a seduction, there's a temptation coming from the enemy to steal your worship. I so believe it. The devil is ultimately trying to steal your covenant of worship to the Lord and make one with you. And so what he does is he wants to make a counterfeit of the real thing. See, there is a temptation to become a worship leader nowadays. There's a temptation to become a musician for money, to fit in, to fulfill what we call is our, our call and our destiny. There's a temptation to go after it for glory, fame, and followers. See, it's because the earthly reward for, quote, good worship has never been greater. I see it. And this really makes my heart heavy because it's always, always supposed to have been about a heavenly reward, not about an earthly reward. See, at some level, the worship movement has actually never looked better. It's never sounded better. There's never been bigger movements. There's never been bigger stages, bigger personalities and more followers. Everything in the worship culture right now is so bright and shiny, and all of that isn't evil in itself. We just need to remember that the enemy wants so badly for us to make the, give the attention to ourselves and not the Lord. He wants us to worship worship and not worship Jesus. See, the enemy isn't afraid of our influence, I promise. He's afraid of people partnering with Jesus and in spirit and truth and worship. He's not afraid of your influence. See, like how I mentioned, we know that one of the enemy's favorite things to do is counterfeiting the real thing. Worship, marriage, sex, gender, fill in the blank. He's creating confusion with counterfeits of it all. See, we were created for glory. We were created to carry God's glory and display it to the world. 2 Corinthians 4 talks about that. The enemy would love more than anything than to see a church or a generation want to be celebrities more than glory carriers. It's a good word. He wants to see us capitalize on the glory as a means to an end instead of the glory revealing a person named Jesus. And instead it just ends up only revealing ourselves. Nowadays I hear a lot of me talking and me singing. And, and all of that is awesome. Testimony is a big deal but it's all about Jesus. See, I'm speaking to the church as a whole, but it's also good to remind us as well that I wanted to just speak some of these things out, that we must dethrone a lust for influence. We must dethrone a lust for influence. We must dethrone fame in leadership, dethrone the Western idea of celebrity worshipers, and ultimately dethrone selfish ambition to please people. I've seen worship turn into this. <clears throat> if we don't do this, if we don't pay attention to, do, to these things, it actually creates idolatrous fruit for people to eat off of. It's not okay. 
we must remember worship is not an industry. Worship is not platforms. Worship was not all supposed to be about musicians, movements, and new brands. Worship is not a trade or a career that you chase after. Worship is more about a laying down of a covenantal people, giving lives in their obedience and, yes, praise. It's important to call these things out because a true heart of worship absolutely has nothing to do with any of those things that I listed. See, in this day and age, there is a new, I would say, kind of bad model of worship, and it's this model of celebrity and cool. It's weird. A model that has been led, truly, I think, by Instagram. It's been led by the world. It's a, it's a whole worship movement that is about views and likes. And it, and it takes this thing of, of, it takes intimate encounters that people have and turn them into just awesome media clips. It's like, I, I see a lot of times in young people, it's like worship is so powerful, but the first thing you want to do is take out your phone to capture the moment, to get that shot, make it look artsy and cutting edge. And what this has done, the reason why we must talk about these things, is it has over time created an image of success. An image of success for how worship really works. And it's become more about uh, what that bigger movement over there is doing. Like that movement over there is doing it right. And we look at churches in light of those and actually subconsciously can't wait for our church to be like that church because they're doing it the right way. But what happens is that puts us into lack and it's confusion. They keep doing that song, so we have to do that song. It's this, it's this image of success of this is what it works like. This is what, it, this is what works. It's that this form and this expression is, is, is what's working right now. See, I'm all for understanding that there are powerful songs and, and different things, powerful movements that the Lord is doing in certain seasons, and it's our job to cling to those. But this is important. Let that direction come out of the Lord's voice to your community. Don't let it be led from YouTube or social media. Worship is not a formula. Like how I said, it's not playing that one song that is powerful. Because if we play this one song, then something powerful is about to break out. Because again, power doesn't come from the form. It's not our job to duplicate what we see on Instagram or YouTube. And sit there and be like, oh, our church needs to do these songs. We need to have this instrument. Once we have that instrument, we will be next level. Or we need a video guy. Or we need a merch drop. Right? These are, it sounds silly, but this is subconsciously what has made worship work. No, God speaks and reveals his voice, and that is what guides our song choices, what we do in worship, not what is the hot song right now. Like, think about it. I was thinking about this. This is awesome. Our culture here at Saints Hill has for sure, what did I say? Well, whatever. Um, take that out. I didn't hear what I said, but thank you, Lord. Um, but our culture here at Saints Hill has been formed, yes, by teaching, but it's been formed by songs. 
right? Like I was thinking about it. Like I think about if you've been with us for a while, you've seen kind of the history of our worship. It's songs like Since Your Love, Heaviness is Lifting, We Give You the Highest Praise, a song we sang tonight, Who Can Compare? I'm never going to forget the Sunday when we went into that bridge. (sighs) A song like All My Fountains Are In You, Old Songs, It Is You, We Adore, by Sonic Flood. Your Love is Extravagant by Daryl Evans. <laughs> those have become staples for us, and all those lyrics we've sung over and over, they've become a culture here. It's beautiful. But I promise you, those songs that have formed our culture, none of them were found on a social feed. They were spoken to our leaders from the voice of Jesus in their quiet time, almost all the time. Hey, Jesus told me I think we're supposed to sing this song. It's awesome. There we go. We still have some requests out there. Um, My heart is troubled. Oh, here we go. I'm kind of reading this as I go, and I'm like, oh, gosh. My heart is troubled because this past year, especially I've seen in the church and the culture of worship, especially this last year, I've seen us take more hints on growth and style from Justin Bieber and Kanye West. And it's tried to make music and worship more cool, more gospel sounding, which is fine. I'm for that. But tied with high-end expense, expensive clothing. It's weird. It really shows me who is leading who. Our job was never to compete visually or sonically with the world. It was always our job to give the world a taste of heaven. Another taste, not the artificial taste of the world. It's not our job to become famous. And I promise you, it's a slippery slope, the prayer. Lord, make me famous and I'll make you famous. Mm. I'm not... I'm not technically, in writing this, I I, I realize I'm not technically anti-popular or something like that. I'm not anti-fame. But if, if, if it's a product of the Lord's favor, then it's awesome because it's for his glory. Because I actually think it's possible to become popular and remain pure. How? Because Jesus showed us it's possible. Jesus was wildly popular but fame didn't drive him. What drove him was being obedient to his father's voice. So we must constantly have purity, kill that shiny face of popularity whenever it starts to rise up and having a family like us around always ready to chop that thing's head off when it's coming. Because we were never called to seek first the kingdom of influence, but God's kingdom. Can I get an amen? See, I've really, I've really tried to kind of slow down and ask the Lord, why is there this struggle, though, with worship? Why is there this, this struggle, especially with uh, creatives and artists, musicians? Because I don't believe that people, like, actually have evil intentions when it comes to worship. But I do think the enemy can skew our vision and make it selfish. And I kind of had this idea in talking to the Lord of, of why, why, why is there this struggle? And this is really important. Pay attention here. It says, uh, I had this thought, Christ by nature is self-denial. 
and musicians, artists, creatives by nature is self-expression. So Christ by nature, who he is, who he calls us to, is all about self-denial, but musicians, artists, creatives in the church by nature is self-expression. So we're constantly in tension holding these two realities at odds, but the Lord is calling his worshiping people into mature stewardship more than ever to steward this gift of worship that he has given us. So we must steward this dichotomy really, really well. Because here's the kicker. We must know that all of our self-expression must be initiated by a self-denial unto Christ. Therefore, our self-expression is found in the good death that Christ provides. So how do we express ourselves? We find out what he says about us, who we are, and we only take expressions that he's leading us to, ultimately because his voice would be on it, his glory would be on it, and he would get famous, not us. See, I promise our worship, as it grows, will have resurrection life and power on it. But it will happen when Monday through Saturday there's been multiple deaths to self so that we can come together alive and know his goodness and resurrection power will happen when we gather and sing. Now to end, I have some uh, final thoughts, like what I was going to talk about. Next slide here. What will, what will help us obtain and sustain this heart of worship? I was kind of getting there a bit there for a second, but it's self-denial. So in other words, what comes to mind is Holiness. Holiness is the pathway to sustain our pure hearts for the long haul. I don't hear a lot of pastors talking about holiness or repentance or surrender. Holiness, uh, through my research, uh, through my research, holiness comes from, so nerdy, holiness comes from a Hebrew word meaning kadosh. Did I say it right? Kadosh? Probably. Kadosh? Wow, thank you, Lord. Um, Kadosh. Maybe, maybe you'll even see if I'm right here, meaning to consecrate, consecrate ourselves unto the Lord, ultimately to be set apart, sanctified for a purpose. So the point of holiness is the need to approach God in the way that he wants me to approach him. Understanding God's love is approaching him how he wants me to. So that, that means that there is things that I need to be set apart from, things I need to repent of, because the one that called me to himself is holy, so therefore I have to be holy. First Peter says this, Be just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Holiness stands on the shoulders of repentance. That's why holiness, I think, is not hard to talk about because we know what repentance is. Here at St. Sil, we've talked about repentance a ton. It's a beautiful thing. Here's another Greek word, uh, metanoeo. Is that right? Wow, close enough. It means to change your mind. Repentance means to change your mind. That's where repentance starts. It starts with this. It starts with beginning in a spot saying, Lord, I agree with you. I agree with your saving towards me. I'm constantly in a place of letting the Holy Spirit search me out. See, worship is all about coming into a place, whether alone or in a Sunday gathering, 
and not just singing songs, but simply coming into a place to agree with the Lord, agreeing with his word. That's why it's important to know who God is intimately because our theology, our knowledge drives our worship as well. We worship him. Think about it. We worship him because we know who he is. We know his character. We know he is, he is good because of the scriptures. So then it, we worship him. I promise you it's harder to worship him when you don't know his character, when you don't know the word. So it's, it's getting in a place and agreeing with his character, agreeing with his will for this land. So that's the heart of worship. That's the lifestyle worship. That's why talking about repentance shouldn't be weird at all or scary. It's, the re, it's, it's receiving the gift of righteousness. Like I think of, uh, Alex mentioned this last week. He mentioned a, a, a tender time between him and the Lord. Right? So he came in into church feeling one way, and then a true heart of worship flowed up from him out of a way of repentance. He started confessing things and agreeing with the Lord in the presence. And then true worship came out. It makes me think of Proverbs twenty four sixteen, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. So the righteous fall seven times and get up. This is huge because the case for righteous people is that they don't make the mistake. It's that they are in a perpetual state of agreement. I'm going to get back up. Righteous people, that's what happens is when they stop and agree and they say, God, I'm the clay, you're the potter, and I'm agreeing with your movement in my life. This is holiness. And this holiness is what keeps us in this place of pure worship. So repentance and desiring holiness is what will keep, um, keep us dead, if you will. Like Jesus said, deny yourself daily. Pick up your cross and follow me. But we know that in following Jesus in that way, how many of you know that's where you find the true joy of living? Amen? God isn't trying to keep you dead. He just wants to kill the you inside of you that is killing you. That was kind of fun to say. God isn't trying to keep you dead. He just wants to kill the you inside of you that is killing you. Why? So that he can fill you with the new resurrection that comes from his life. It makes me think of Romans 12.1 and talking about the context of worship. This is powerful. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Here's that word again. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This, ver- this verse, I believe, is going to be key to Saints Hill and our worship, being powerful and pure. Because I do believe that our worship will get bigger. Why do I say that? Because God wants to pour out his presence in bigger ways. So our worship must get bigger. But it's lovers that he's looking for. It's people that have and maintain this true heart of worship. Saints Hill, I think, can be that place. I think we are that place, and it's where we're growing. People that are quick to repent and desire holiness. Because what I believe, uh, my heart in regards to worship, is that for years and years to come, that, that people can look at our church and say, those were people that were never driven by a program, but were driven by the presence of God. 
They weren't driven by fame. They weren't driven about the next cool thing that that church did. They were driven by the voice of God. Let's all stand. Worship team, you can come up. Did anyone get anything out of that? I know I did. I want to listen to it again. (laughs) To end, I just wanted to, uh, I wanted to end and declare scripture together. Um, I saw it being like a decree um, and an act of worship. It's this powerful portion um, found in Joshua 24. That's uh, where Joshua gathered um, all the people of Israel, and he was making a covenant unto God with the people. So I thought this would be a perfect way to, to end the night. Um, I want to declare this loud <laughs> with strong, uh, unified heart, okay? It's a powerful passage. Just think of this in the context of what I'm saying in, in worship. One, two, three. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the God of the Amorites in, those, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord, to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on an entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We, too, will serve the Lord because he is our God. That's awesome. Thanks for listening. And if we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website, saintshill.church.